0: The only one that remembers the Beatles. Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for Yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trainspotting just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And A World Without the Beatles. A World Without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday podcast, available from wherever you get your podcast.
1: Oh, yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who?
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devinder Hardwar. Jeff Kanata,
3: And Christy Puchko.
2: Welcome to the show, everyone. Let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be discussing some what we've been watching. Uh, we're going to be moving on to some brief film news and then concluding with an in-depth review of Sorry to Bother You, Boots Riley's uh, newest film, that is creating quite a stir on the indie film circuit. So looking forward to talking with you guys about that. Or actually, uh, I'm not looking forward to it because uh, I'm actually not going to be here after the What We've Been Watching segment. Uh, I am not available to do the rest of the show, but I will leave the episode in the capable hands of Mr. Jeffrey Kanata. My understanding,
0: Uh, Dave, is that you are finally achieving your final form Fusing with the A list.
2: Uh, okay, so uh, you, you know, Jeff, you're referring to the fact that in last week's episode of the Slash Filmcast, we had an extensive conversation about AMC Stubbs A list, which is their newest subscription program. And uh, uh, you know, we we heard the feedback loud and clear from our listeners, which is please stop talking about. AMC Stubbs A list. That was all feedback. I heard
1: is more A list.
2: Give, give us all the A list. The, the, yeah, it was I
3: people. I like think that was partially my fault because before we recorded that day, you asked me if I was part of A list and I said, what is that? So I feel like part of the blame is on me that I legit did not know and I, I opened the Pandora's box that was this conversation. No, no, I think the, the conversation would have gone that way regardless. As it
2: were. So we've heard the feedback loud and clear. Please stop talking about AMC Stubbs A list. And Uh, We are going to stop talking about it right after I read this email about AMC Stubbs A-List from listener Mike writing into slash filmcast at gmail.com. Listener Mike writes in, quote, Dear David, your AMC Stubbs A-List podcast about AMC Stubbs A-List was so AMC Stubbs A-List that I wanted to AMC Stubbs A-List up my AMC Stubbs (laughs) A-List. Holy cow, I didn't think it was possible for three people to prostitute themselves without getting a single cent out of it. But then I heard the most recent Slash Filmcast. Look, I'm glad it works out for you, whoop de doo. But for a lot of people, myself included, AMC Stubbs A list is a really shitty deal. Yes, yes, you touched upon the cons briefly in the most obligatory, throwaway way, like prescription ads that quickly tell you that the product causes diarrhea. But these issues can't be overstated. Number one, the worst part of AMC Stubbs A list is right there in the first word. First off, it's cool that your local AMC is nice, I'm glad. But for a lot of people, especially if you live in New York. Devindra, what the hell? Their local AMC is basically a greyhound bus with a TV wheeled in from your middle school. You're like some (laughs) jerk who lives next door to the one cool McDonald's in Tokyo and won't shut up about how great the cuisine at Mickey D's is. It's not the norm. If you want to experience the nadir of humanity and witness firsthand how thin the veneer of civilization is, go to the AMC on Times Square on a Saturday night. It will turn you into Werner Herzog. Number two, competition is good. I can't really hate you too much for your enthusiasm because the warm and fuzzy feelings you have about Stubbs A-List is how I feel about MoviePass, which is is the other thing that annoys the F out of me. Every gross endorsement of A-List is followed by a snickering swipe at MoviePass. Yeah, I get it, the app blows, it's buggy, and their business plan looks like it was written by chimps on cocaine. But Christ (laughs) Almighty, why do you guys have such hard-ons for its demise? Competition is good for A-List members, MoviePass's continued existence is great for everyone, unless you're one of the shareholders of their parent company. Shit, it's the the Only reason why A List even exists. If MoviePass disappears tomorrow, you think AMC is going to continue doing this thing out of the kindness of their hearts? Theater chains can't wait for the day to spit on the grave of MoviePass so they can go back to the way things were. You like A List? Then you better pray like hell for MoviePass to survive another fiscal quarter. Number three, I like watching movies that aren't garbage. <laughs> Again, I can use my movie pass everywhere. I'm broke as hell, but in the last few months, I was able to watch several movies at Alamo Drafthouse. I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey in 70mm, and I was able to patronize our local independent theaters and foreign films, all for the price of one Chipotle burrito. You, on the other hand, got stuck watching Skyscraper. How is this even a choice? Yes, I had to show up early to reserve good seats, and I can't see IMAX 3D, d smellovision, but who gives a shit? I was able to experience the joy of cinema in ways I hadn't before. TLDR, AMC Stubbs is fine and dandy for some. So's is MoviePass. It's not a zero-sum game. Um, cool. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so I thought that email was hilarious and very well written. And uh, update on my front, guys. I bought MoviePass.
2: Oh,
3: snap.
2: <laughs> um, well, I-, I would respond to this email but um but that would break my promise to stop talking about Stubs a no, so. nobody wants to talk about it anymore you
1: know when I read this email I thought this person <laughs> was living in like the sticks in like the middle of nowhere and in that case like yeah if you're somewhere where your AMC is really terrible and you don't have multiple options um yeah it's it's awful it's not a good deal this person's in New York I did not realize that Uh, I I don't know what this guy's talking about but But I think like actually I
3: agree with them I think and we want we don't have to get super into this but I agree with him because the AMC at 42nd is disgusting and on (laughs) top of that like I was really excited that movie pass works for the Cineapolis and Chelsea because I love that theater it's like enough out of the way that it's never that busy and it's really like they redid it and the whole thing is beautiful and every seat is like leather and reclines and I didn't even know that Alamo does it that's super cool. I just like the flexibility that MoviePass does. I get the the disadvantages that we talked about on the show or whatever. But for me, it just seemed like it was going to make more sense. And especially this month where I knew there were several things that I wasn't going to be able to see at press screenings or that I wanted to see again, which like the reason I bought it was so that today I could go see uh, Sorry to Bother You Again because I haven't seen it for several weeks uh and you know it just seemed like well this is this seemed a no-brainer because it gave me such a variety of options and the fact that he pointed out he got to go see 2001 a space odyssey using movie pass that's amazing
1: it's super indeed, cool. Indeed. yeah well I, let, let's let's not stoke this war i will say i will say <laughs> the you're, one you know, thing I mean, let's will, not stoke this uh, war as you that, stoke is the war is but, at least <laughs> no at least for the amcs in new york uh, if you want full imax i think also one of the few full IMAXs. In the entire Northeast, you have to go to AMC 68th Street, unfortunately. And also, those Dolby theaters are great. So it really, it really actually does depend on what you're trying to see. For me, the convenience of actually being able to book freaking seats ahead of time is super useful. Like I was, I I used my thing to book a Fallout opening day seat on IMAX because uh, I I couldn't get into any press screenings, and that was very useful. So yeah, all these things come down to how you need to use it. Uh, I will say, compared to a lot of other theaters in New York, uh, the AMCs aren't terrible. Like, that's uh, that's the thing. I've been to all of them. And, well, yeah, if I, if I had to stick with one chain, you know, it's, it's one that I could at least live with, yeah.
0: The thing that I learned from the slash film Slack uh-huh. is that, uh, evidently, I bring up the fact that I live across the street from an AMC theater way too often. That thing where... Every time I bring it up, I think, did I have have I mentioned this before? <laughs> and, and evidently, I I clearly have. And uh, you know, hey, thanks thanks everybody for keeping us in check on that stuff.
2: I just love yeah. this email because of his reference to uh, most AMC's are basically like a greyhound bus with a TV wheeled in from your middle school. I, I just cannot get that image out of my mind. Like, it it's, t- There's <laughs> a
3: lot of really good imagery. Yeah. The dig about, like, you're the guy that likes the McDonald's in Japan. Like, there's a lot of good stuff in there that, like, as much as, like, D- Dave, I appreciate and adore you – that's like that's a really superbly written slam. Email.
2: Yeah, no, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, I usually when I when we get emails that are like you guys are terrible, uh I de- auto delete, don't even forward, don't read them. Right. Uh but this was this one was so uh well put it was together. Artful. It's so exquisite, such an Sky exquisite is the, takedown. This guy is
0: the Jonathan Gold of uh, AMC <laughs> taking the piss out of AMC, I guess. Indeed. Indeed.
3: <laughs> indeed. Um all right. So thanks for writing in. That email again is. <laughs> <laughs>
2: slash filmcast at gmail.com is where you can keep the emails coming in. Okay. Uh, and that is the last we shall ever speak of AMC Stubbs A list.
0: Until next week. My, my <laughs> wife
2: is so pissed about my constant references to AMC Stubbs A list that she refuses. Maybe it's
0: because you always say the full name <laughs> of it.
2: <laughs> she refuses to say the name A list, like in our conversations. Yeah. She'll just say, yeah, "Oh, hey, are you She's going to use that monthly subscription service?" You know, like she'll purposely go out of her way to not say it. She's so. Really,
3: I like signed that signed up for for a a you within your own account. marriage. Yeah, I respect yeah. that
2: for sure. For sure. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, let's get into what we've been watching this week. Uh, so I just want to mention a couple things. Speaking of a monthly subscription service that I use, I uh, watched the Equalizer two this week, which I'm just going to say, you know, sometimes guys, y- you just want to go see. Denzel Washington mess some dudes up, you know. That's what you want to do. Um, And if if that's what you want to do, then this movie will mostly achieve that. It is really very very long. Um, It's like over two hours long. There's like all the the main sort of plot line of the movie does not even get underway until about forty five minutes into the movie. Um, and is that because
0: he's too busy messing
2: dudes up that whole time? Well, there's actually a f- fairly heartwarming subplot in which he mentors a uh, another youth in his neighborhood, uh, and so actually mentoring, actually,
0: mentoring and equalizing.
2: Mm, uh, he he is helping to equalize things for for this youth. Oh, um, so it's not
0: like the equalizer T O O.
2: Correct, correct. It's okay. just the numeral two. Um, but yeah, he mentors a, a youth uh, played by Ashton Sanders, who uh, actually played uh middle age Chiron like the the teenager Chiron in Moonlight um and uh and that relationship was actually actually pretty cool um but i i feel like this is a movie that doesn't get why people like to go see these movies which is that you want to see Denzel Washington brutally murder some dudes and um and i don't think it gives us enough of that i don't think it gives us enough um so Equalizer 2 fairly unsatisfying too long um, and the finale doesn't—it's not not really worth it, in my opinion. Uh, but there are a f- few fight scenes in the movie that are pretty good, so you know it's not a complete waste. It's just st- didn't really think it was worth the time. Uh, so that's the the, la- the last um, the latest casualty of Dave Ten's time as a result of my monthly subscription service. Uh, yeah, to the movie. Una- well, unnamed subscription service. Unnamed <laughs> subscription was. service. That's right. Um, okay. Also had a chance to watch. Annihilation, the uh, not the 2018 Alex Garland film, but the uh, Patton Oswalt stand-up special. Have you guys seen uh, Annihilation? Oh, Oh, so good! Yeah, Yeah, so good! Amazing. I have
3: not because it sounds like a lot. It it is a lot,
2: Uh, but it's actually my favorite one of his specials. Like I'm no Johnny Come Lately to the Patton Oswalt game. I've been listening to him since you know way back in the day. Some of his earlier albums that were released on CD, you know. And uh, this is one of my favorite one of his. And I would actually recommend highly a podcast called Good One, hosted by Jesse David Fox. You guys know um, this podcast? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, This is an amazing podcast. It's so good, it, like, makes me angry at how good it is, you know? And the reason (laughs) why is because in today's day and age, it's extremely difficult to launch a podcast that someone else is not already doing. Um, You know, in terms of the premise, like there's a thousand movie review podcasts, there's like a hundred, hundreds of, you know, religious podcasts and food podcasts and comedy science shows out there. And uh, it's just hard to get a, uh, like an original concept going. And uh, he found a good one. Jesse David Fox found a good one from Vulture. Um, it's a podcast about jokes. It's basically like Song Exploder for jokes where they take a joke and he analyzes it in depth for like an hour with the person who told the joke. And so I'd recommend watching Annihilation uh, Strong Patton Oswalt and then listening to the uh, Good One podcast episode about Annihilation where Patton Oswalt talks about like how uh, when his wife passed away – Uh, he had to go back on the road to make money. And this comedy special, Annihilation, was about, uh, in large part, uh, his wife passing away and how he and his his, uh, daughter dealt with that death. Uh, And it, it was fascinating hearing him talk about why he addressed it on stage. And he was saying how he wanted to get back on the road, but if he didn't talk about his wife's death on stage somehow, in some form... It would have seemed completely demented is the term that he used, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if his wife had passed away and then he got on stage and was talking about like, you, you ever notice, notice like parking lots are blah, 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 you know, like we would think that is bizarre. You know, like why are you telling jokes? You know, why aren't you grieving or why aren't you mourning? And, and so he felt like the need to, to transform that grief into um, uh, this stand-up, like partially into the stand-up special. And mm. I think it's fascinating. It's raw. It's intense. It's hilarious, and I'd highly recommend it, um so that's annihilation on Netflix, Jeff, you said you've seen it too right?
0: Yes, yes, I have uh, it is powerful and moving and hilarious, and um I think a meme has emerged from it, right it's um uh, i don't even i don't know if we should say it it's probably a spoiler, but it is a i think a perfect meme for our time. It is a become a mantra in my own mind, something I come back to over and over again as i move through this crazy world Mm. uh is a beautiful thing that evidently his wife used to actually say and now he's sort of broadcast to a larger world and i think it actually has helped a lot of people in a lot of ways it's a it's an amazing work uh it's one of those things where it's more than just a stand-up special right it is it is it's kind of like um Nanette was for me it, it just it lives in a different place than just a stand up mm-hmm. special yeah
3: i 've heard it 's amazing I think for me uh, I, I was such an admirer of Michelle McNamara that even though I heard this was so good i just i mean it 's been hard enough like reading her book posthumously that i don 't know i i 'm sure I will watch this eventually i just i don 't know
2: yeah Michelle mcNamara is by the way mm-hmm. uh, Pat uh late wife, who was a true crime reporter, and uh, her her last book was published posthumously so And it's called Uh,
3: I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and mm. it's about the Golden State Killer who they recently, uh, they believe they caught. And if you don't know that story, it's all over the internet, and it's really fascinating, and Michelle's a huge part of the reason that that happened. Mm.
2: Well, the special is Annihilation. It's worth watching, and that is what I've been watching this week, and that is my contribution to the podcast this week. I leave it in your hands, Jeff Kanata. and why don't you start off by telling us what you've been watching?
0: Well, um, I wanted to mention this. I just realized I hadn't really talked about it. We you know, we did a podcast a few weeks ago where we talked through all of the Mission Impossible movies because we had been supplied with the uh, the new four k Blu-ray editions. and uh, people enjoyed us talking about those films at length uh, in anticipation of the new Mission Impossible film. Uh, And I kind of briefly touched on the special features on those discs. I think we talked about it a little bit. But I have, since uh, since we recorded that, gone back and watched almost all the special features on those discs. And I just would like to say how pleasurable an experience that is and how much I would recommend it to people. Um, If you enjoy the Mission Impossible movies, I think part of the reason why is because of – how they do a lot of the things they do that we are sort of in this CGI world. And yet you have Tom Cruise doing everything and it's an extraordinary experience seeing the feature. It's there's a, they vary in quality greatly. Actually, that's not even true. They don't vary. They, they progress like the earlier films. Uh, the special features are not great, but as the movies continue, uh, they improve a lot and you get more and more of them about, the moments in the movie movies that you are most curious about and uh, it is a it's an exercise in uh realizing that tom cruise whatever you may feel about him personally uh is kind of a superhero he's kind of batman like when people talk about i remember when i was a kid reading the uh, the official handbook of the marvel universe which was this like encyclopedia of all the heroes and it would have little bios about them and it would talk about their training regimen and all the skills that they have, you know? And I used to think, how does a person have the time to have skills in all those areas? Yeah. superheroes are, there's no way they could exist. And yet Tom Cruise (laughs) proves that it is actually possible uh, because the, the process of watching those special features back to back is the process of just hearing incredible specialists in wildly divergent uh, disciplines, all saying, the thing about Tom is he's incredibly good at he's he, uh, he picked it up like I've never seen anybody study harder or do more or get I can't believe he we didn't think he was going to be able to do this and this and then he did it and it's just like <laughs> all these experts are like yeah he's like the best student I've ever had and in wildly different categories and like you, you know sometimes Jeff
1: those things feel like there's a gun just off camera pointed <laughs> at their heads it's just like maybe. you you got to tell the world how great Tom Cruise is right cuz uh, and it's Tom Cruise holding the gun so
0: maybe yeah. but, but then there's there's proof that he's doing all the stuff. Like yeah, yeah, they show yeah, yeah. him driving the cars and driving the motorcycles and, uh, hanging off the side of the plane. And then there's like a one where he's learning how to hold his breath longer than a human <laughs> should be able to. And it's like, you just watch and they watch him behind the scenes, like hold his breath for six minutes. It's like, there's nothing this guy can't do. It's, it's yeah. anyway, very entertaining to watch those. I would I recommend <laughs> that. but that's not really what I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about is the new, um, the new HBO, documentary about the late Robin Williams. Uh, It's called come inside my mind. And uh, Robin Williams was, was a pretty special person in my life. Not nearly as much as it is in my wife's life. My wife um, grew up. And one of the things that she is like a touchstone for her childhood was the good morning Vietnam soundtrack, which had a bunch of Robin Williams audio clips on it. And she and her family would listen to that on road trips. And so he really was very special. For her. Um, so we watched it together and this is a beautiful work. I think it is very sympathetic to him. It doesn't bring up anything that is, well, I wouldn't say anything. They, they de- definitely talk about his drug use, but it, it comes, it's a very loving portrait. Uh, and it doesn't talk about things like his reputation for stealing jokes and stuff like that. It doesn't touch on any of that. Uh, and it has interviews with his first wife where she's saying things like, you know, he used to cheat on me a lot, but I wanted him to. It's it's, it's kind of oddly toned in that way where it really doesn't <laughs> have much negative to say about him at all, which I guess is fine because it does paint the portrait of uh, a, a genius who uh, touched a lot of people's lives and really did a lot of good, you know, actually donated a lot of his time and energy uh, in the world. And it's, it's beautiful. There's a lot of Uh, I think very candid behind the scenes video that I'd never seen before. I don't know if anybody had seen before. Um, And uh, I found it to be very moving and uh, very touching. And, and, you know, when he died in 2014, I, I don't know if I'm over, I don't mean to overstate it or be melodramatic about it, but it really did feel like the point at which we moved to the dark timeline. You know, it felt like after that, you know, Prince and Bowie died and, you know yeah. ferguson happened and all it, like it did all,
1: feel like there was a little less magic in the world right yeah. and that was kind of the start of that trend unfortunately
0: yeah yeah it's a very sad thing and it talks you know there's a there's some uh, interviews with um, bobcat Goldthway who was the best man at, at uh robin williams third marriage most recent marriage uh and they were very close and him talking about late parts of williams life and what led to his suicide and stuff i mean it's a very intimate portrait and i i would recommend it i I found it to be um while i don't think it is particularly um what's the word it's not investigative you know it's not Mm -hmm. they're not exposing his life in any any sense there's
1: another one out now too right I think i hear is better
0: yeah i haven't heard i don't know perhaps that's true I found this one very watchable and very uh, very moving, and and it has a lot of really old stand-up routines, and and behind the scenes, there's like Mork and Mindy, you know, between cuts footage and mm-hmm. uh, interviews with Pam Dauber. and like it, it's it's comprehensive, and I found yeah. it to be really really. Oh,
1: it's ah uh, for I was thinking of the book uh, David Scoff released Robin, which I ah. hear is a very good book about his life too.
0: So anyway, that has come inside my mind, and it's on HBO. Christy, what is, what have you been watching?
3: Well, I was away last week at the Fantasia International Film Festival or International Fantasia Film Festival. Mm. Uh, I'm still catching up on sleep, so I might be getting that. But Fantasia is a genre festival in Montreal, and they have uh, – it's weeks and weeks of just movies from all around the world, and some of them are just totally out there, and it was super fun. Um, so I wanted to talk about some of the things I saw there. Uh, first and foremost, I want to talk about – I saw Under the Silver Lake – which is David Robert Mitchell's follow-up to it, um, it Follows. And this played it can where... Let's say it was divisive. That's, <laughs> uh, I knew people who had seen it, and I heard some people say that they thought it was amazing, and other people say they thought it was kind of trash. And uh, Is it another horror movie? No, not remotely. Hmm. Um, it's, so the premise is... Uh Alexander Garfield is this um, guy who lives in Silver Lake in Los Angeles, and he becomes kind of fixated on his next door neighbor. And um, the day after they talk for the first time, she it disappears and he becomes obsessed with what happened to her. And in trying to track down what happened to her, he comes into all these weird corners and meets all these weird characters. But it is not like a dark noir. It is a stoner noir. It is super trippy and weird. It has a kind of almost magic realism going on to it. And it is two hours and 20 minutes. Um, So I think it is the same cut they played at Cannes. I forgot to uh, get that confirmed. But, I mean, the screen time seems similar to what played there. So I think it is the same cut. Um, Because it was supposed to come out in theaters, I think, in... March or May this year and then it got bumped to December and there was a lot of speculation of like maybe they're recutting it Um, but this seems to be the same cut Uh, and I did not expect to like it because I was not really into It Follows and people have been comparing it to Inherent Vice which is another recent stoner uh, noir and I don't like Inherent Vice and I was kind of like okay let's do this (laughs) Um, I like for the first hour I was uncomfortable and I hated it and I hated what was happening and then I realized that was maybe the point. It kind of reminded me of Cosmopolis in that way where I was very uncomfortable and I thought that meant maybe that the movie was doing something wrong. And then I realized, oh, I'm supposed to be uncomfortable. Uh, and once I kind of made that adjustment, I was able to kind of enjoy this movie. And it is so strange and so beautiful and weird. And it is um, I wrote about it for right material and I would call it a twisted love story for or a love letter to Los Angeles. Um In that it it kind of loves Los Angeles warts and all, but it's like not blind to the warts remotely and does engage in a criticism. But I can't say much more than that without uh, spoilers. I feel like I'm like, I, I know everyone gets very concerned about spoilers. I gave you the faintest idea of the plot and have said very little elf, but it's a totally bonkers movie. I cannot promise anyone they will like this movie. It is so strange i really just i don't know person to person who will like this and who won't but um i think it's going to be one of the more fascinating films when it comes out in theaters uh december 7th because i think people are gonna want to have an opinion i think it might be like mother last year where people are just like well i need to see it so i can like sound off one way or the other uh and it's it's a lot. I was especially be curious to hear what people in LA think of it, because I've been told it's a very LA movie. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I and I know people I have,
1: have a lot of opinions about the silver Lake neighborhood. So, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah.
3: Yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. the new this
0: Hollywood.
3: W- right. And this, <laughs> this movie is like, it's, it's, I think it's a satire. I <laughs> like, I kind of want to see it again immediately because like, there's so much going on in it that it's kind of like, you're hard to pin down what, he, Mitchell's trying to say with it, but I feel like I got a vibe for it. I wrote about it on Riot Material, so if you want to know more about it, I recommend going there. Um, but yeah, it's. I think it was pretty outstanding. I was really excited to get to see it.
0: Cool. Again, that's called Under the Silver Lake, and it'll be coming out in December. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and then uh, the world premiere of a movie called The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot.
0: Yes. Asia. Oh, yeah. What a, is there a better title? No. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah, so... From the title, I feel like you have a pretty good feel for what the movie's about. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I need to get into that much more. But uh, it's it's actually uh, the writer-director's debut. His name is Robert D. Oh, gosh. Uh, Krizowski. Kri- 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 I'm very sorry, Robert, if you're <laughs> listening. Uh, it's K-R-Z-Y-K-O-W-S-K-I. Huh, Krizowski. I'm going to go with that. Kri- Kri- Yes, yeah. Moving sounds on, good. sorry. I am like, fixated on this. Uh, but it stars Sam Elliott as the titular man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. And um, I mean, It sounds like he did it in the right order. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really interesting movie. It, it flashes back and forth to his time in uh, Nazi Germany, and at that point, the character is played by Aidan Turner, and then it flashes forward to him as a retiree, or he's called in for one last job where he needs to kill the Bigfoot. And uh, it's interesting, because, like... Based on the title and the premise, I feel like you think you know what this movie's going to be. And while it delivers on what the title is, the tone of the movie is actually very different. It's not bonkers. It's not like, you know, some sort of Tarantino exploitation homage. And that says it's actually a very sentimental movie. Um, in my review, I compared it to, like, if you took Inglorious Bastards and, like, combined it with Cocoon. <laughs> That's kind of. OK. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, And so I feel like that's all I can say about that. Now I don't know if it's going to get a U.S. release, but uh, I feel like if you like Sam Elliott, you'll need to see this. He's amazing in it, and it's a very unusual movie. But I was really glad I saw it. That
1: sounds like something that'll uh, make a quite a splash on Netflix or something, right? Yeah,
3: I feel like eventually it has to hit Mm -hmm. something like that. But as far as I'm aware, there aren't uh, distribution plans. Um, And then lastly, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, one of my favorite movies at the festival. It's called Anna and the Apocalypse. And uh, <laughs> it's so crazy. It's a, okay, teen comedy slash holiday movie musical slash zombie horror movie.
0: Oh, another <laughs> one of those? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Been there a million times. To- no, um, it's really fun. I saw it at Fantastic Fest last year, which I believe was the world premiere. And now it's playing Fantasia. And uh, it's directed by Johnny McPhail, and I got a chance to talk to him at Fantasia. I'm really excited to run that review uh, interview coming up, because he has a lot of really cool, like, Easter eggs and stuff about how the movie is actually referencing other horror movies. But uh, it's basically set during the holiday, and it's set on these teenagers who are kind of focusing on, like, there's a, there's a holiday talent show coming up, and Christmas, and da-da-da-da-da, and... And then, you know, the zombie apocalypse happens and you can find a trailer online and kind of get a sense of it. Um, The one song you can hear in the trailer is called like What a Day to Be Alive. (laughs) And it shows like Anna going about her walk to school, not realizing there are literally zombies and stuff behind her. It's kind of like that Shaun of the Dead moment where he walks to the shop uh and that that's just one beat in the movie but it's very funny it's like i i was screaming with laughter when i saw it and the music's actually really great and kind of all over the place they have like very different songs from beat to beat so like one song is a kind of throwback uh you know kinky like like a saucy uh marilyn monroe type song and then another one reminding me more of like a freddie mercury rock out song and there's like a punk jam and It was so, so much fun. Uh, And that's actually coming to uh, the U.S. I think in December as well uh, from Orion Pictures. Um, yeah it says it's going to open November 30th uh, in limited release and i'm assuming if it does well it'll it'll c- keep yeah. expanding By but way, uh, how
1: great is it that Orion Pictures is back just seeing I know, that right? logo yeah. like it's so it, it just hits a childhood. nice spot yeah. yeah
3: yeah and it's exciting they're um they they took like they revealed a poster a new poster for the movie at Comic-Con and i feel like they're really trying to put some oomph behind this and it's such a fun movie uh and i mean it was cool seeing it for the first time at Fantastic last year because i just it didn't matter if it was good or not. Right. Like I need to see the mashup that's trying to combine like four different genres, essentially. Like I needed to see it. Um, but it was so much fun and like, you know, you can just tell that everybody is just totally game for what that movie is and everybody totally gets it. And it's just really joyful and funny and also gross and at times genuinely scary. Um, so yeah. Uh, cool. Anna and the apocalypse, it's good Anna
0: stuff. And the apocalypse, keep an eye out for that one.
3: Devendra, what are you,
0: uh, what have you been watching?
1: Oh, a couple of things. Um, I finally got to see Blind Spotting, which is a new film starring David Diggs and Raphael Casal. It's kind of a uh, companion piece, I'd say, um, just totally to Sorry to Bother You. Uh, both of these movies are set in Oakland, and both are kind of dealing with the issues of today. Um, and this movie is far less surreal than Sorry to Bother You. I'm really looking forward to talking about that movie. Um, this one concerns, you know, a guy who is on his last few days of probation. Uh, something really bad happened, you know, a couple years ago, and he's just kind of dealing with the efforts, or you know, just dealing with the aftermath of that and trying to piece his life together. It feels a lot like a Spike Lee movie to me. It is a really a movie about how people just live. It's funny, it's heartwarming, and then at times like you know, violence will erupt. And I think a key plot point of this movie it's not spoiling too much because it's in the trailer and it's kind of all part of the marketing. Um, but at some point David Diggs' character early in the movie uh witnesses a cop killing somebody on the street and he just kind of sits with it and he lives with it and the trauma of that kind of just exists with him and within the movie throughout you know throughout the entire runtime. Uh, when I was going into this I thought this would be a movie about like him trying to like you know go to the police and you know try to get something done about this. And no, it's it's just like him living with this horrific thing that he saw, while also still you know trying to win back the woman he used to love and trying to have fun with his friends. It's a really interesting film. I think like Spike Lee is probably the best comparison. It's um, directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada, who I think has done plenty of shorts before this as well. But so assured, David Diggs' performance is just so compelling. Like this is a movie I'd easily call a masterpiece because I just felt Mm -hmm. floored walking out of it. Um, It is one of those movies. It's it's a lot like do the right thing or something like a movie that will make you laugh and cry and just get angry at the same time at the state of the world. Uh, Gentrification is a big part of this movie. And just like, you know, the changing face of Oakland and everything. Um, It is really fascinating to see both this movie and sorry to bother you, like come out side by side and just, you know, let's get a glimpse of Oakland because it doesn't really normally get a spotlight in Hollywood. So Mm -hmm. there's that. It's very good. It's out in theaters now. So definitely check it out.
0: It's called blind spotting.
1: Mm hmm. What's next? What's next is Searching. I don't know if you guys have heard about this movie. Um, This is a movie that takes place entirely within screens and computer screens, just like Unfriended. Mm -hmm. Um, Except this one is not a horror movie. It's kind of a mystery thriller starring John Cho, um, who one day his daughter disappears. And it is, you know, the movie covers his journey of just trying to figure out what happened, where is she? And the whole investigation involved in that too. Deborah Messing's also in this. Um, Really this movie, um, it's not coming out till like the end of August, I believe. Uh, But if you have a chance to see it, I think it's really fascinating. Uh, I think it uses the screen format in more interesting ways than something like unfriended, which was fine. Um, But this just felt completely compelling to me. Um, It's really interesting too, like it, tells the passage of time just by showing computer screens the the opening image is the windows xp login screen and it's just like oh you know exactly what time you know this particular scene is taking place or something and it tells the passage of time through you know os upgrades and device upgrades and things like that Hmm. It's it's kind of geeky but i also think it's very um it's very approachable because for most of us who've been, you know, using computers or modern gadgets or something, you kind of, you know, you you would recognize these things. You'll recognize these sounds. And also the way he constructs, It's uh, directed by Anish Chaganti, the way he constructs this narrative and uses the actual screen data is just kind of fascinating. So to me, this is like, it's a really interesting film to watch because it kind of shows us um, maybe one of the next steps of cinema or like what cinema can look like. Because it's just a completely new format. Um, You think of, like, if you look at your desktop right now, right? And you look at everything that's on your desktop. All the files, all the shortcuts and everything. That tells a story. And it's really fascinating to me how this movie kind of does that at certain points. At certain points, you'll see John Cho's desktop. And it's like a crazy, you know, wall of just clues and data and things Mm -hmm. like that. But it also, like, tells you something about this character and kind of how he's thinking. Uh, Google Sheets plays a big role in this movie when it comes to, like, <laughs> hunting down, you know, the suspects and trying to organize all the information.
0: Finally, Just a movie like about Google
2: Sheets. Finally. And yeah. it's, like,
1: really close-up Google Sheet shots, too, so... It's uh, you would not think that a movie like this would be so interesting and intriguing, uh, but I think John Cho just really sells it. Like this is completely his movie. Most of the time you're just staring at his face and you know watching his emotions. Um, and also this is the second like John Cho Noirish film I've seen recently. I also saw Gemini a couple of weeks ago. and it's really weird because Gemini is a much more cinematic movie. It's more traditionally shot, has a great score and everything. Uh, this movie has a terrible score. And <laughs> uh, you know, the way it's shot is just like it's kind of all over the place because you're just really depending on the computer screen. But I think it's a much more interesting mystery. And, you know, in terms of like doing new things and showing us where cinema is headed, this is far more that, you know, this is yeah. this is such an exciting. I, I came out of this movie just so jazzed by the possibilities of what they could do with this format. And also, it's a really good movie, I think, with a genuinely good mystery. A lot of great red herrings Um worth seeing in theaters even though it's all about computer screens
3: it's It's also playing fantasia
0: oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. it feels like a lot of people try to crack that nut and Mm -hmm. it's exciting to hear that it sounds like these guys have have done that
1: yeah i think unfriended mostly did it but this kind of goes all the way
0: yeah very cool it's called searching and uh you have one more thing one more
1: thing just a quick shout out to the expanse on sci-fi and, uh, you know, I've talked about the show before. Uh, I kind of gave up, not gave up. I just got kind of distracted in the middle of season two. So I spent the past couple of weeks just catching up because uh, I heard season three was very good. And that just ended. And I have to say, the show is as good as always. But I think it got even better in season three. Um, David Strathern joins the cast and he just adds this whole, I, I don't know. I think, I think he adds quite a bit to this cast. Um, and his Robbie Toss. Gravitas is good. I mean they had um Jared Harris on the show before too and um uh what's his name? What's his name it's escaping me right now. Vegan police from Scott Pilgrim. Uh Thomas Jane was yeah. in the show for like the first two the right. first season or so. Like that it's had great haircut. actors. Yeah, that that haircut. Um you know the the show's had a lot going for it. I think in the third season it got a lot more refined and a lot more focused. Uh, it is ultimately, you know, it's a show set a couple hundred years in the future. Um, there's a civilization... How to explain this? I guess, like, there are a faction of humans on Mars, and they're the people who went to colonize Mars, and they ended up very militarized. And then there are people living along, like, the asteroid belt. And they're sort of like the rejects and the downtrodden of the society, and the people on Earth are basically the ones who are kind of richer or have more money, typically. Um, so it's these different, like... It is a story about humanity and class struggle, but using these new ideas. And I think, like, it just does some things really, like, really smartly. Like, I don't think – I've never seen a show, like a sci-fi show, deal with, um, you know, what if you got an internal injury in zero gravity? What does that mean? It means you
0: die.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it means you're fucked because (laughs) – the blood can't clot and right. it can't like you can't like leak out like nothing you can't really do anything about it until you had some gravity and it's little things like that, just little bits of, like, accuracy. Is like, oh, this is what it would be like if we kind of colonized Mars. And uh, if we had a bunch of humans living along the asteroid belt for, you know, decades, 100 years or so, it would be a completely different culture. And their language would sound very different, too. Like, all the belters, they have this really unique patois that I really love. And, um, yeah, David Strathairn gets to do that as well. So it just sounds great. Um, great actors, great writing all around. Worth watching, especially if you missed uh Battlestar Galactica. And you miss like that s- a sense of like high budget, high quality science fiction, you know, space battles and stuff. Um it, it I, I think it'll really scratch that itch for you.
0: Very cool. The Expanse mm-hmm. Season 3. All right, guys. Uh we gotta talk about some film news this week. It was Comic Con week, we had uh, Comic Con this last weekend, and usually there's a lot of news coming out of Comic Con. Not so much this year. I would say maybe the revival of Star Wars Clone Wars mm-hmm. being the the only real big surprise that came that out. Aquaman trailer, Jeff. I mean, I don't.
3: Steven Universe it is getting a movie. I'm just oh, I'm yeah, excited nice. about
0: that. that yeah, is so nice. there's good stuff. There's yeah. some good stuff. But concurrent with Comic Con, uh, I think the big news happened and. It's a, um, it's a controversial subject. It's been a charged subject, but it's one I think we should uh, talk about. And, and that is uh, James Gunn was fired by Disney from Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and, in fact, fired from any potential work at Disney. There was a statement that Disney put out saying that he will not be directing Guardians uh, 3 and also will never be working for Disney again. Uh, and this is because of some tweets that he wrote, uh, almost 10 years ago now that were, uh, in his words, uh, jokes in poor taste, uh, that sort of made light of, uh, pedophilia. And, um, he apologized for them, I guess about six years ago, but they have resurfaced and, uh, Disney didn't like that. And he has been released and there has been a lot of outpouring of support and criticism on both sides. And um, Christy, I wonder what your take on that. I mean, I know you were at a different festival while all this was uh, hitting the fan. Um, But what, what was your response and reaction and what's your feeling about how this has all come down?
3: I mean, they were jokes and poor taste. I understand why Disney did what they did. Uh, I was most surprised that like, I don't know, I guess that like when he got the Disney job, he didn't immediately go back or that Disney didn't have people that went back through his tweets and deleted a bunch of stuff because like mm-hmm. the guy was a trauma director. Like the jokes are in bad taste, but that's also like kind of trauma's whole thing. Um, so it's not that I wasn't shocked by them, but it was more like I was, I don't know, that's who James Gunn was. Right, right, And And it, it I feel It like seems hard
1: to believe that Disney was not aware of some of these things to you especially since he did previously apologize for them
3: it's also the way it came up I find is not helpful um, because it came up as if I don't know I I felt like it came up as an attempt to try to make an issue where there isn't one like no one's actually like no one was sincerely accusing him of anything and now I feel like the issue of he made bad jokes and the implication that he's an actual pedophile have been conflated and I think that's absurd um You know, especially when there are actual like, like alleged abusers, but actually like convicted child molesters who like are still working in the industry. Cool. Yeah. Let's Making focus on James for Gunn who made it. Too, I think. Yup. Yeah. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait called that out. Check out his tweets. Yeah, um, it's a
0: yeah, very well written tweet. I would point people toward what Bobcat said. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely. F- there's a lot of aspects to this, a lot of facets. It it is uh, the weaponization of outrage in in a lot of ways, as this was clearly an attack on gun for his outspokenness Mm -hmm. on his Twitter feed. And it does seem odd that things that he had previously acknowledged and apologized for, and Disney seemed to be okay with it at that time. It is, but also it is also very much within Disney's right to say, this is not, this does not comport with how we would like our, employees to behave and we Mm -hmm. choose not to employ you. So certainly can't fault them for making that decision, but uh, it it does feel kind of, kind of scary to be quite honest with you as somebody that frequently makes jokes and questionable (laughs) taste. uh, I will say uh, you know, the things that I said 10 years ago were said in a different time in a different environment and to be held accountable for them today when I understand that a lot of the things that I thought were funny aren't funny anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, uh, And I think of the things – I think of some of the stuff that we used to joke about in college and
1: God. You
0: know, it's like yeah. if, if that stuff all I was still to be held responsible for in the same way as if I had said them today, Right, it seems –
3: and, like, uh, that's the thing, like, yeah. I understand people being upset about these, but one, he has apologized previously, and more than that, because anybody can say they're sorry, and that may mean nothing, but, like, he actually, if you walk, look, look at his films and you look about his interviews and things, like, as a person, he has grown exponentially, which, like, his brothers stood mm-hmm. up for him on Twitter and said something similar, and I just, I don't like the idea that, like, none of that was taken into account, and yeah. it's, you know... I don't, like, for. I think there's a difference when, like, you know, we call out someone, for instance, like, we're talking, like, all the Me Too stuff has come up a bunch, and we talk about someone who's been alleged of abuse, and they say, like, well, I'm a different person now, and it's like, well, we don't actually know that, because this right. allegation just came forward, and now we don't, like, our our, our p- opinion and view has been thrown into disarray, but like I said, like, the gun stuff was known, it's been yeah. out there, like, it came also, out here now. Also, physical
1: actions are yeah. a little different than, uh...
3: A hundred percent. The, the
1: freaking that, tweets.
0: That's the biggest it's, problem. Is the, is yeah. it, is this equivalence between making a joke that it, you decide whether it's funny based on your taste, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe you have poor taste.
3: Right. Uh, like I'm not or, defending his jokes. I think they're mm-hmm. gross. But I also think it's silly that he's been fired over jokes that he made this long ago and that he has apologized for. And that he has showed, like, not just said he's sorry, but he has shown genuine remorse and grown as a person and as a filmmaker. And I feel like you see that. So that's where I find that really disappointing.
1: Well, what to to me is really sad. I don't want us to, like, spend too much time on this, too, because there's a lot of great writing about this. Um, Mm -hmm. But for me, it's the context of it and everything. Like, uh, Christy, you're wondering why people are outraged about these tweets. Um, From what we're seeing, it's not genuine outrage it is sort of the weaponization of outrage as jeff was saying like i like to call it faux outrage it is like clutching your pearls and pretending you know that you're really you know annoyed about this meanwhile uh yeah because we this all came about um was it mike Cernovich and his supporters like This all came about because of things Gunn was saying and anti-Trump things Gunn was saying. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, So, yeah, if you if you're targeted
3: for his politics and like people want to compare this and Roseanne. And I don't think those are similar because Mm -hmm. like I agree. And that's
0: what I was going to say, because the different the key difference is and and I know people are aware of of at least my political leaning uh, and, and it may seem like I'm uh, defending my side and attacking the other, but I I truly believe there's a substantive difference between what (laughs) Roseanne was fired for and what gun seems to have been fired for. And that is a racist joke is racism. Mm -hmm. A pedophilia joke is not pedophilia. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And that's a very big difference. That's a very big difference.
3: It's also so. not like the first joke she had made along the like she she's she said th- things repeatedly and like even as she apologized she was still liking comments that were still blatantly offensive like Roseanne just kept doubling down and even now like her defense I don't know if you saw on Twitter but her defense uh, she released a video where her defense is still not helpful and you know. Yeah, I just she's don't gonna think be on someone. Hannity
0: this week, so I think I think they'll clear everything up.
1: I'm sure. Right, yeah. I'm sure
3: that'll take care of it. But I mean, well, th- you I know, just...
0: people want to get James Gunn
1: arrested for these for these tweets.
3: Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's yeah. really dangerous when like you're talking, you're... when you start pointing the finger about things like this. I mean, I don't know. Like PizzaGate, a guy ran into an actual pizza shop with a gun because he believed all these like theories and whatever that don't yeah. have substance to them. And I just find it all very scary that like. I don't know. I, I I'm disappointed in this happening and um, I don't know what the easy answer to it is. I well, the, well I think yeah. the,
0: I think the actionable thing and, and part of the reason I wanted to bring it up uh, on the show is something, you know, if only Dave Chen were here, he would he would have said this already. But I, I will I will speak in his behalf because he's off. Um, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day when you can mm-hmm. see three movies in, in, a, in a week. Um, don't, don't say it. I won't. I wouldn't. Yeah. I, why would I? I would never bring that up? Um, but I believe he would probably say this uh, more eloquently than I, but I shall, I shall do my best, that um, the actionable bit of takeaway, I think, from this and something that I have realigned in my head is how we behave with social media. And that is every single thing – and I, it took me too long to realize this mm-hmm. – but every single thing that I write on Twitter or Facebook or any, any – uh, Instagram, any of them should be treated as if I am publishing a press release to the world. Right, right. It's not written to your audience. It's not written to your friends. We often write those things as if we're hanging out at a bar with our group of friends, or the people mm-hmm. that are following us. And that is that is not how these mediums are being received. They are being received as press releases to the universe. And at any point, any any of those press releases can be picked up and broadcast to an audience you didn't intend and didn't foresee and so i unfortunately have retreated quite dramatically uh, from posting my thoughts and feelings because i had to realign how i how i conceptualized even the process and mm-hmm. i think what i'm going to going to do is honestly delete all my old stuff and just uh, you know be very conservative in how i How I handled these things, I don't, I mean, small C, obviously small C conservative.
1: yeah, no, so. no, no, I, I, w- yeah. I
3: wouldn't blame you, Jeff.
1: Yeah. Because, well,
3: I also think mm-hmm. that if you think about it, I was talking with my brother about this, and he pointed out that, you know, you look how long some people have been on Twitter. Some of us have been on Twitter for like eight, 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And he pointed out like language ch- changes in that time too. So something that like maybe wasn't an, considered an offensive word at the time could be brought up later to make it seem like you were being a real asshole. When like at the time, that's just something, mm-hmm. you know, that's not really the case here. Like it's not like there was a point where we we're all like, guys, pedophile jokes were super hilarious. Like these were these were meant to be taboo. They were meant to be provocative. They were meant to be offensive. I'm not, again, I'm not defending the jokes. I'm saying that like, they like, no, no one's really defending the jokes. The comment, the comment is whether like 10 year old jokes are a good reason for him to get fired now when this has already been in theory dealt with. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, I I think it makes sense to to be
0: offensive. You know, jokes (laughs) are offensive. I mean, I don't always enjoy offensive jokes, but
3: I think I mean, like I understand from their perspective of like, if this is something that's going to get brought up on every press tour, there's no way they can sell this movie to children if at every press tour they're going to have somebody bringing up these tweets. Yeah. Like, I think that that's that's the end of it. It's not you know, I don't think it's a moral issue. I think it's just as a PR issue. They can't deal with it because, you know, you look around and it's like. There are other people who have been accused of far worse that are still making mm-hmm. huge movies coming out this year. Yeah. And I, you know,
0: I, like I said, I kind of can't fault Disney for making the decision. I kind of understand from a pure bottom line dollars and cents, mm-hmm. uh, corporate image standpoint. It's the, the greater culture that sort of makes this an issue in the first place that feels a little out of whack for me. And, and that, right. and, and that, and that. All things have to be treated with exactly the same amount of intensity and outrage rather than any nuance between knowing what justifies it and what doesn't.
1: This is a longer discussion, by the way, because what we're really seeing is like the weaponization of like truth and facts and reality and everything. Because, yeah, people will pretend to be outraged about James Gunn, but they will not bat an eye about anything happening like far infinitely worse you yeah. know, with the people mm-hmm. they support or, yeah, you know, you know, the people where, where we here draw a district. line
3: between if, a, if like an yeah. entertainer says something shocking and if, you know, a politician does. So, yeah,
1: yeah. All uh, right. watch, well, watch what you tweet, folks. Yeah, yeah. I made I mean, a joke.
3: It was I tweeted this before the James Gunn thing happened, but I tweeted <laughs> think before you tweet, then don't tweet.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. And
3: I think about that every day now.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, 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 often it is very uh, it is a very cathartic thing to type out your tweet. And then, and then delete, delete it. it. <laughs> and then yeah. delete it. Before, before Into, pushing send.
1: Just yeah. let it vanish. Uh, I tweeted, uh, amidst all this thing, like, I do feel like we'll have an upcoming sci fi movie that's all about somebody, like, going back in time to stop themselves from tweeting or something. And, like, <laughs>
3: that, that was sort of the uh, thing in uh, The Dark Knight Rises, right? That's that she true. wanted to go back and erase her internet existence, yeah. basically.
0: Something the, like the that. The Black Mirror episode writes itself. Yep.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I just think it's weird that, like, literally, we're at a point now where tweets can can derail someone's career. However, temporarily I think James Gunn mm-hmm. kind will of bounce back and be okay ultimately. But yeah, I think this is a really complex conversation and I don't want to come in like acting as if I have the answer. Cause I don't, I think it's, yeah. I, I, I think what he said is terrible. I think his response was as good as it can be. I understand why Disney did what they did. I just think the whole thing sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: not to beat a dead horse here, but what he said is, is terrible. But also the joke, the joke always with stuff like this is how terrible it, the joke is. Right. Is yeah. a reflexive joke on the teller. It's like, it, don't we all agree how horrible this is? That's why it's fu- funny. I don't know. Anyway, that happened, and it continues to happen. And if this story develops, we will talk about it on the show. I th- it, it is a big, you know, film story, and uh, ultimately, it means that Guardians of the Galaxy Three either doesn't happen or happens with a different writer director or. What? So that, that's something that's going to develop as well, and, and I think it will be fascinating to see how it all plays out. Because one of the things I had seen on James Gunn's Twitter prof- uh, uh, a feed was a finished screenplay for Guardians of the Galaxy 3 that he had, he had posted a picture of. So mm-hmm. uh, evidently we're not getting that movie. So we don't know what that movie would have been. All right, guys. It's time now for our review I'm sorry to bother you. But I'm just out here surviving. And what I'm doing right now won't even matter.
3: Baby, baby, it will always matter.
2: Thought oh. you said you fixed that. Get a room! I got a room, mother!
3: how much longer I got to wait for my money? God made this land for all of us. Greedy people like you want to hog it to yourself
1: and
0: your family. And- me and my family? Yeah. Cash is am your f***ing uncle. I just really need a job. 40 2. This is telemarketing. Stick to the script. Hey, hello. Um, uh, Mr. Davidson. Cash is green here. Sorry to bother.
2: Bark- Let me give you a tip. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice? I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife. Like this young blood.
3: Hey, Mr.
2: Kramer. This is Langston from Regal
0: That was from the trailer for Sorry to Bother You, uh, the new film, the first film, in fact, from Boots Riley, who is a rapper and multi-hyphenate, I guess you would, you would say, does mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Uh, the IMDb description is as follows. In an alternate present-day version of Oakland, telemarketer Cassius Green discovers a magical key in professional success, propelling him into a macabre universe. I love any description that uses the word macabre. Uh, <laughs> Sorry to Bother You stars uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson. And uh, it does. it is a surreal film that is difficult to talk about uh, without spoiling it. So I think most of our discussion will probably take place after the spoiler tag, but uh, you know, this is movie is, is, is surreal because people read newspapers in it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Devendra, tell me what you thought of sorry to bother you. Oh yeah. Add this one
1: to my, I love this movie soundboard because (laughs) I, I genuinely do love this movie. Like this movie Um, it is so, I think what's so amazing about this film, um, it is a stunning, like the strongest indictment of, you know, modern era capitalism that I've seen of like corporate, uh, the corporatization of the world. Like there's, it says a lot against the tech world and just like, (laughs) yeah, I think a lot of things too about like how, what we value in life may, I don't know, may not always align with uh, what society tells us to get. I, d- I don't know if that's making any sense. Anyway, the way I like to think of this movie, it is a straight up like a mashup of uh, Brazil meets idiocracy. Mm. And I think that's that, that's it. Like it has it is all about like this, you know, one lone office worker. Who's trying to deal with like this crazy bureaucracy and corporate structure and the like uh, you know class system of the society he lives in. But it's also about like this dumbing down of society and some insanity that's happening. Um it, 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 to me just feels like a really wonderful commentary on American culture today. Um what I love about this movie too is it doesn't feel polished. Like mm. in it's very much a Terry Gilliam-esque film in that. There's just so many ideas. It's just throwing so many things at you. Um, And not everything works or I think clicks in as you'd expect in maybe a more posh film or something. But I think that's exactly the point. The energy of this movie is pure. Like it it is very punk. It feels very like, you know, Boots Riley is very angry about the state of the world right now. And he put all of his ideas and his heart into this movie. And I think you can really tell. Um, I love LaKeith Stanfield, love Tessa Thompson, and uh, the basic concept of this movie too. I think is just kind of fascinating. Um, what else? Also, Stephen Stephen Yun is in this movie, and he gets a chance to shine, and that's a rare thing too. Like he is, uh, a, you know, I've liked him in plenty of other things, but I think here specifically, and we could talk about some of that in spoilers. He's a really interesting character too. Uh, but yeah, I, I loved it. Loved it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, everybody seems to be talking about how it is such a perfect uh, movie for our time. Mm-hmm. And yet, evidently, Boots Riley wrote this several years ago during the Obama administration, and it was actually published. The full screenplay was published in McSweeney's yeah. in 2014. Yeah. So, um I find that fascinating. Uh, Christy, What did you've seen Sorry to Bother You Now twice.
3: Yes. I uh, saw what, it at South by Southwest. So uh, that was obviously a while ago. So I went to see it again today to refresh my memory.
0: Yeah. Um, and what did you think?
3: I think it's phenomenal. I mean, like, I heard a lot of stuff out of Sundance when it hit there. And I purposely was trying not to read about it because I thought, like, okay, I'm going to go see this. I don't need to know anything. And uh, it's just, like, I thought I knew what it was going in just based on the buzz from Sundance. And like, there's, there's no way, there's no way for you to predict what's going to go down in this movie. And I think that's part of why it's so sensational. Uh, I think that Gilliam's a good point. I think it it also reminds me of like uh, Kaufman and uh, Gondry and Mm
0: -hmm. there's this. The one, the one that I was always thinking of also is uh, the beginning, like the first 20 minutes of Joe versus the volcano. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, it's been a while since I've seen that, so I I don't know. Um, But I really like how this movie is so madcap. And, uh, I wrote in my review for Riot Material that what I really like about it is it feels like Boots Riley, um, he leaves it all on the screen. There's, there's like, it feels like he's holding nothing back. It feels like he does not think a second film is promised. And if he's only going to make one movie, it's going to have every goddamn thing he wants in it. And, like, you know, there's just so much texture to the movie from the actual dialogue to the characters to some of the plot twists to like Tessa Thompson's earrings mm-hmm. like so what's going on in the background on like every right. theme, honestly there's there's like so watching it again it was really great because since I had already seen it I knew what the plot was I could just kind of enjoy the periphery of what was going on and like there's just so much within the frame it's there's so much storytelling going on um, Boots Riley just knocks it out of the park, and uh, I we haven't mentioned Army Hammer's in this, and Army uh-huh. Hammer is perfectly cast. Army Hammer
1: in the most Army Hammerist uh, role. <laughs> yeah,
3: or? and we'll have to get into spoilers, like why it's the most Army Hammer role. But like, uh, and I feel like, yeah. Anyway, but Army Hammer is great in this. They they just have such smart casting. Um, it's phenomenal. It, it's just you've never seen a movie like this for like, I know we're comparing it to like these dystopian movies and that does make sense. And Mm -hmm. I think any film, uh, that is basically attempting a counterculture argument, uh, could be compared to sorry to bother you in some sense, but I really don't think we've seen anything like this. It just feels so its own thing. And, uh, it's, Fun in part because there are points where you just I just didn't know what to do with what I, I was right. just like, I, I right. like I, I I just have to sit back and watch because I it,
1: it's so fresh, like you cannot predict like what will happen next because like every scene is something new and insane.
3: Yeah. yeah, you can't fall into like the easy pattern of thinking, you know, it's going to happen or like, you know, there's there's a, a like low level of discomfort the movie throws you into. And like what's been fun is like I've been following Boots Riley on Twitter and he's been retweeting what people say about the movie. Uh-huh. And a lot of what people say about the movie is like, I just came out of. Bo- sorry to Bother You when the f- just happened. And uh, I find that really funny. Because, of course, like, you know, I, I, that's kind of the joy of it is to come out and look at your friend and be like, what did we just see? And, you know, uh, <laughs> which is part of the reason, you know, I've had people uh, tweeting at me for like a month now being like, no, seriously, though, when are you guys talking about Sorry to Bother You? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really just we needed all to go see it. So thank you for your patience. Um, but, yeah, it's... <laughs> it's a movie that's rich with ideas and then has a lot going on and is so exciting for all those reasons, but also just the comedy in it is, is so irreverent. And like, we were talking about like taboo jokes. Um, I, I'm just astonished by some of the jokes this movie pulls off. Um, (laughs) because you know, there's, there's an absolute race element going on within the movie about, uh, like code switching and, Mm um, basically effectively how black people have to behave for white people. Uh, when white people are their audience in the world uh, versus not, and I think the way it explores that is done in a way that makes it funny, so it's accessible. But I think it can also send people who don't have to think about that; they can send them home with a kind of like message and a kind of thought to to keep with them.
0: Yeah, uh, yes, I uh, definitely agree with you guys. This is one of those you have to see this movie. Movies, uh, it is. I think it's going to be the one that people are going to talk about all year long for the rest of the year. Uh, It's sort of, I I know a lot of people have been comparing it to get out and there are some easy comparisons to be made there. But I also think that in the same way that that film sort of had its own dialogue that it generated, I feel like this movie is going to do that and should do that. And, um, will it'll be a very important conversation. Mm -hmm. I was blown away by it. You guys are so right. It doesn't feel like any, it, it really feels like an outsider making a film for the first yeah. time. It yeah. feels like, I mean, even just structurally how it works and mm-hmm. how he like crossfades between scenes and how t- the tempo just feels like it's its own thing rather than <laughs> what is very conventional in films. It, it's, it, it switches tone in, in hard right turns all over the place. And to think, to have somebody be able to pull that off their first go-round uh, making a film like this, it's it's an extraordinary thing. I also agree that it doesn't always work, and I honestly think that it kind of loses its way mm-hmm. toward the end. It It tries to be about so many things, and it has so many ideas that it kind of collapses under its own weight by oh, the yeah. end. There's I'm a not- clear point where – Things get crazy, yeah. Um, and, and I like they, yeah, crazy. You take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. I like crazy. I really do. And and I mean the movie's <laughs> crazy throughout, but it like it it really leaps off the cliff at the end, mm-hmm. uh, toward the end. Uh, and I just don't. I feel like a some of it is just so on the nose. I won't we'll get into it in spoilers, but my my more cogent point is that. I I it is imperfect but sort of beautifully so. Yes. I just wish it it stuck the landing a little better and I don't think it it quite does at the end. I think it just it just wants it's like the guy that already won the argument and then just like has three or four more things <laughs> he wants to say. You know, it's like okay, no no dude, dude, you were great. No one to to yeah. leave the stage. <laughs> um so uh I just wish that it it had had one more draft and just kind of whittled it down a little bit at the end but Man, there's so much good in there, and so much that will stick with me, and that I'll be thinking about for years. Uh, the performances are incredible. It has so much to say about our world and race relations in that world, and just the things that we we are willing to do for ourselves, and how we should think about our place in the world and the power structures that exist. It has it's eloquent on so many points. It just it just Feels like it's like you said, Christy. He feels like this is the only time he's going to get to make a movie, so he has to cram it all in. And uh, I just wish that it could have had a little more time to breathe and stuff would have been left out a little bit.
1: Also, I have to say, this is probably the most like I don't know, progressive movie I've seen around like labor and labor rights. Mm -hmm. Like, this is this movie alone is probably getting a lot more people to think about hey, maybe a union is a thing I should be thinking about in my job uh, because we can't trust our corporate parents or something.
0: Yeah. Uh, like, like the last yeah. movie to do that was Norma Ray, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> when's it, when's which it, actually when...
3: gets a shout out in this movie. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. when is the unionization, uh, the central point of, a, or not central point, but a, a major factor in a film in the last 30 years,
3: much less a like comedy. Yeah
0: yeah. 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 And you're right. It's very funny. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about, I mean, I think honestly, I think we would all agree that if you haven't seen this movie, it's a good idea to go in not knowing what you're yeah. about to see.
3: If you haven't seen it, bail out right now and come yeah. back later. Yeah. Really. Because, like, we're going to talk spoilers. And I don't want you to have the ending ruined. This is not a situation. I don't tend to. Th- we're the I don't middle. always think middle. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't always think that spoilers are negatively going to spoil a quote-unquote movie. But uh, I, I meant quote-unquote spoil a movie. But. <laughs> Uh, I think in this instance, you really, there's, the movie takes a hard turn and, uh, I really don't want us to be the reason that you know about that going in. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, please tune out and catch up with us later.
0: Yeah. This is not a movie where at any point did I feel like I knew where I was going. (laughs) So, and I I was delighted by that. So yeah, definitely do yourself a favor and do not listen as we now enter spoiler town.
2: The secret. I see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out.
0: Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret.
2: Now. You want to be fooled.
0: All right, spoiler-free. For sorry to bother you, should we start? <laughs> should we start with the ending? Guys? I, I
1: think we have to start with the reveal, like yeah. that, that moment. Like, how did you react? Cassius
3: goes through the olive colored door and not the jade door.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. How did you react? And how did your audience react? Because I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have like an audible reaction, but my, saw so was with my wife and she like, she like audibly gasped when like things got all, when it was revealed who was crying out in pain and you see the full extent of this, you know, tormented horse human
0: uh yeah. And we also don't something. know if we're in we're quite in a drug sequence right, at right, that right. point. You know? So you're not re- I I was the movie had gone to so many crazy places by that point already that I'm like, am I just on a drug trip right now? Or we is this really <laughs> real? Or you know, it's it's yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Um I remember South by Southwest audiences like gasping and some people literally just screaming. Uh but what was funny was watching you today, uh, like, 4 o'clock on a Tuesday, um, the audience was very subdued. There were, like, some gasps, and I thought that was kind of funny. And I do wonder if it was people who had already heard what was going on or whatever. But, uh right. That's yeah, also a
1: very 4 o'clock Tuesday audience reaction. Like, oh, yeah. I snuck out of work early, and I'm just, just going to do something.
3: Yeah, I was not <laughs> sure what to expect. Like When I looked around, I was yeah. like, there's a fair amount of people here. Okay, like, what's up my tuesday afternoon people i don't i was not sure what to anticipate um but yeah i that was like that was actually i was a little bummed because when i was scrolling through tweets at sundance i had seen in retrospect someone reference something like a minotaur and when i saw that i was like oh that's what they meant but i didn't understand like i it wasn't really spoiled for me exactly because when i saw someone being like yeah the minotaurs and sorry to bother you i was like i don't know what the fuck that means uh so when i put it in context i was like oh that was and then i got mad that someone tweeted about that at a sundance i was like that was really uncool that was all over
1: the sundance uh coverage by the way because i was looking at early coverage from a couple other sites and people were mentioning horse humans i don't know if like they to me it feels like something you try to keep just a little just a little quiet until the movie was in wider release but maybe they were talking about it more openly there i don't know
3: I think when I reviewed it out of South by, I purposely did not explain exactly what they were because Mm -hmm. I thought I'm still months away from people actually seeing it. And that felt really unfair. Um, But I mean, everybody teaches their own when everyone figures out what their spoilers are. Um, It's interesting that right now that basically runs recaps and apparently that counts as criticism now, too. So whatever.
0: (laughs) Evidently, uh, one of the uh, EquiSapiens is played by Forrest Whitaker which I think is crazy because we would I have no way that. Of knowing, you know. <laughs> um, I thought, I mean, honestly, that was the point, one of the points, maybe a little earlier than that, where I kind of feel like we, we, we went off the rails a little bit for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I feel like, you know, Workhorse is a bit on the nose and felt a little, it just felt, uh, it. it was beating me over the head with a concept that I think could have, I, it wh- could have been expressed wh- in a more poetic way than you're it. Head oh, with the I dead liked horse it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: right. I mean, I liked it because I thought the whole idea is about the like that. Ultimately, what the film is challenging is capitalism, right? Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have Cassius feeling like he doesn't have a place in this world. He doesn't know how he can have any impact. Uh, he's literally a guy who makes his own trophies so that he can feel validated, and then he gets this job where he's actually good at it, and he's actually good at making money. And no, even when the job is increasingly shady, he's still happy because he's still getting this sense of validation in the forms of like you know money and praise from his boss mm-hmm. and champagne uh and even though he's trading in his identity and even though he's trading in his beliefs like that doesn't matter so then when they call him into this it's like you know when it becomes this extreme when it becomes literally the turning of people presumably against their will into horse people or mm-hmm. uh, equestro sapiens a, a, <laughs> what is it again
0: Equisapien. equisapiens sapiens
3: Uh, you know that's when it's like that's his bridge and I know it seems extreme but it's also one of those things that really is daring you to pay attention to what's going on there which is the idea of like you know Steve Lift was already treating humans as less than like the people who work for him at Worry Free in their weird little jumpsuits and who like you know live and sleep in bunk beds like that's not humane that's that's so bizarre he's like yeah sign a lifetime contract and I'll let you share a a two person bunk bed for the rest of your life and you can eat off a cafeteria tray, it's going to be sweet. Like that's, it's, it's yeah. so interesting that they're basically just, I mean, it's part of the satire, right? They're just pushing everything to that nth degree. But that's why um, I think
0: mm-hmm. it was, uh, that's for me, why I think it was a little t- t- too heavy handed in the sense that I had already got that. We had already gotten to the point of, right, right, right. you know, of satire. And uh, I don't know. I just did. I just thought that that was a step too far for me. Yeah, it it goes, it in goes into, from
1: satire to extreme satire. But yeah. like you're saying, Jeff, like, it goes off the rails, and by that point, I was like, "Huh, I wonder what the scenery is over here off the rails," because <laughs> yeah. I haven't been here in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not that hard to like read, um, you know, into like the future he's presenting. Or it, it's like one of those stories that happens tomorrow, right? Because you're looking at like the uh, the gig economy right now. You right, know, the right, Uber right. drivers and people and Task people, people who just like are getting tasks and going out there and doing it, and basically in a way, it was pitched as a more free way of working, but it turns out it's actually a really shitty way of basically just corralling contractors with no benefits or anything. So it's, in many ways, like a step backwards in the labor force that we spent so long trying to build up. Um, And this, like, yeah, it's definitely all on the nose, but the idea that a company would just, like, say, hey, just come, yeah, sign sign up here and we'll give you, like, free, we'll give you guaranteed work or something, we'll give you housing. It is both I think in many ways it's just like, oh, that's too crazy to be real. And then meanwhile, I'm sure there's a lot of people, especially uh young millennials, who are stuck with a shit ton of debt mm-hmm. and can't quite, you know, make enough money, uh, who are probably, you know, even if you're still living at home, like there are certain aspects of it. It's like, oh, this could be compelling because yeah. the world has beaten us down to a point where I could accept the reality of this sort of like yeah, the the this crazy like uh work structure. Right. So yeah, it's all it's on exactly the nose.
3: saying the mm-hmm. idea that like that that like capitalism is pu- pu- pushing the working class into being essentially like to enroll themselves in slavery. Like that's what the movie is essentially saying. And yeah. I understand yeah. the argument that it goes that it's like it's too under whatever. But I for me I thought that you need that you need that lunacy to really look at what's going on now and being like well how fair are these criticisms yeah. like. Uh, I, that stuff worked for me. I mean, I think the end, I think the third act gets a little low I think it takes a little too long to kind of get where it's going. And I think the stuff with the, uh, the soda can and all that kind of, you know, whatever. I feel like there's moments where it's just, it's, I mean, yeah, it's happen, like, it's, it wants to talk about meme culture. And yeah. It, it's like an like hour and 45 so minutes. It, for vicious. comedy, it's long. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but I was, I was, it it. So
0: mm-hmm. I, I was with it for so much of it. I was with it for the, uh, This idea of uh, of of what is selling out, you know, what is what is how much do you have a responsibility to yourself versus how much do you have a responsibility to everybody else? You know, that there's he's put in this wonderful dilemma of yes, I mean, having a job he likes, he's good at, he feels good, Mm -hmm. he gets validation, he's well, you know, rewarded for it. He can help and, his uncle. Yeah. 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 And he can, you know,
3: you, and I mean, they it, give him valid reasons. Like it's yeah, not, you know, yeah. he's not some heartless greedy dude. Like, you know, he just wants his own place and he, like he does save his uncle from having to sign up for a worry free. Like, I, I think that they, that Riley does a good job of laying out, you know, why Cassius would make these decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not so simple. It's not so clean cut. And I think yeah. in doing that, he really, you know, allows us an entry point for conversation about what the film is saying about uh our current situation (laughs) and i think it's interesting because it's like the idea that he wrote this in 2014 doesn't super surprise me because we're tall i mean it's the same argument though it's the same argument that like capitalism is inherently going to drive people to want more to crave more and if you're always going for cash then what happens to the people that like you need to make that money and like that's where you know the steve lift character that uh, army hammer comes into play and i was saying about the casting of hammer being so perfect like army hammer I I've like I'm this is not a dig at him and I genuinely mean that cuz I think he is very charismatic and I think right. he's so much fun and one of my favorite roles is like him playing Prince Charming I just I but like he really knows how to use that square jaw and his like very like strong masculine American mm-hmm. voice. The preppiness
1: to... of it, right? Like, there, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. He
3: knows how to play that into perfectly like the douchebag American guy, and it's like he did that in uh, in Social Network mm-hmm. with the Winklevosses, and he did that in uh, Birth of a Nation playing a slave owner, and then here he's essentially a modern slave owner. Where I mean, he looks like you know this cool guy where he's like walking around these fun and, like, wearing, like, a skirt so you think he's progressive or some shit and, like, you know, like, oh, look, he has drugs at his party and blah, blah, blah. But it's, like, you know, you scratch a little underneath the surface and everything he is saying is wildly offensive and gross. And it's, like, you know, his 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 offer to Cassius is offensive on its face. It's essentially that, like, I am creating a new slave race and I know they're going to try to rebel, so I need you to be my inside man and keep them in check. Like, <laughs> it's, it's just... And, you know, and then he says something like, I'm just being rational. And it's like the whole, it's just, I mean, it's amazing. It's just the way this film confronts you and it makes you laugh. And then it makes you kind of, we were talking about like Nanette and things like that. It's like, this is a very challenging comedy that doesn't want you to just have a good time. Like it wants you to laugh. It wants you to engage with how crazy it is. But then it wants you to walk away and be like, holy shit, wait a minute. And I'm excited that so many people on Twitter I'm seeing, like, I don't, and I don't know how far they're getting in their, in their discussions at home or their digestions or whatever and uh, but like, you know, I, I'm excited now that more people are seeing it. Cause when I saw it, I only yeah. knew a few people that had seen it. So I didn't get to talk with people about it. Cause I was like, there's no way to do that without me yeah. like painting your version of this movie.
1: I do feel like anybody who sees this movie is just like, I, I got to talk about this with somebody mm-hmm. like, like uh, Jeff. I totally understand like what you're saying about um like the themes and everything, like how on the nose this movie can be. But at the same time, like, man, it feels like a lot of movies these days are so chicken shit about right. their ideas. <laughs> right. And this movie is like, no, you know, I'm making this point, but sit down, pay attention. I'm going to mm-hmm. hold you by the shoulders and make sure you understand what I'm trying to say. And I, I kind of appreciate that this movie does that, too, because it does kind of it wakes up the audience in the way too. like even if you were just it, it really forces you to pay attention to what's happening. That's all. I'm sure it could have been done more artfully, um, but it's so like it really just grabs you this idea of this new slave race, basically. And honestly, this whole thing couldn't come at a better Time. Uh, I am sure he you know he wrote it uh, long before the Trump administration, but yeah, we saw a lot of this coming. Um, I, I would recommend that you guys and the listeners um, have read this article on medium by Douglas Rushkoff. He's kind of a technology and media commentator, a very smart guy. Um, it's called Survival of the Richest. And in this article, he talks about being paid the most money he's ever been paid by a bunch of billionaires to come and talk to them about the future. And he goes there and he's like, okay, like uh, I'm just going to give them some broad concepts things to invest in, right? He gets there and these people are preparing for the end of the world. These people are saying, "So, I'm building like, you know, a bunker and I want a security team. How do I keep the security team from rebelling? How do I, I keep this. the security team from like, you know, how do I keep them in check?
0: Should we have security collars? Yeah. Like what's going on here? After the apocalypse when there's yeah. no money, yeah. How mm-hmm. do I make sure that they don't kill me?
1: <laughs> yeah, so they've given up in the world. They're not trying to fix it or anything. They're just trying to survive uh, using you know the, the power of their money for as long as they can. But just like the idea that uh, certainly these people exist who have billions of dollars mm-hmm. who are – this is their main worry in the world. Not like – Let's let's solve climate change. Let's right. like fix the greater societal problems. No, this is what they're worried about. And I, mean, I think this movie also, taps into that impulse just so perfectly.
3: Sure, it's also so telling that within the movie, like one Cassius initially yells at his uncle, and he's like, mm-hmm. "You people, you who have the land and blah blah blah," and his uncle's <laughs> like, "I am your uncle. I gave you your car. You're living yeah. in my garage." And it's like he has that outrage early on, but it's like it's unfocused. <laughs> and and then it's like when he actually meets somebody like this, it still takes him a while to actually gear up and respond, you know? Um,
0: yeah. I I, I I My only response, Davinja, to, to what you said about um, the movie grabbing you is I, I just felt like I had been grabbed. I was grabbed. I was in it, man. I was digging this movie. Mm-hmm. So much, and I and and I don't mean to overstate my yeah, criticism yeah. of the end. I don't. I, I, it didn't ruin the movie by any I stretch. Also,
1: like Jeff, you're somebody who engages with art, right? You sit there and you do this. You do this a lot, right? Because this is this is what we do. We sit and we think about movies and the deeper themes and everything. I do like I have you know just trying to talk to movies about uh, with people who don't <laughs> watch too many movies, right? And dig into the artistry of it. I, I think sometimes it is useful to like really really make certain things clear right in terms of what you're trying to say because not everybody may understand like the subtext or the subtlety right. of what certain the certain narratives are saying
0: and there's a, there's still a lot of subtlety i think in the movie and a lot of subtext and as yeah. christy yeah. was pointing out a lot of stuff happening around the periphery and the edges of the frame and and a lot of it seems to me um things that are established and then sort of abandoned like there's this whole thing about tessa thompson's character sort of cheating or or you know stepping right. out they were, and,
3: they were on a break like they were on a break i agree they were on a break
0: no i don't know like her <laughs> her romantic interlude with uh squeeze right. is uh it, it really it, it doesn't come to much and there are lots of scenes that yeah uh, and i love the movie for this I, there are mm-hmm. a lot of scenes that are just there like they in a in a more streamlined film they would have been edited out. You know, sure, he, there's a sure, there's sure. a scene where Cassius goes into a like a a back room at the club, and it's he's just like. <laughs> uncomfortable and getting spilled <laughs> on and then comes back out. And it's like, why,
3: why did we see uh, that? It's, I mean, I think you need that for the payoff of the party later though. We're like, yeah, he, yeah. even if he can get access to like the cool room, he has no place within it. And then again, later when he actually has access to the cool room, he still has to sell himself out with that horrible attempt oh, at rap. Oh man.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's like had... th- this movie, this movie <laughs> has, I think some <laughs> of <laughs> the most memorable scenes of the entire year, but that scene will certainly go down. Because it is, uh, it is certainly very blunt in what it's saying. Uh, but at the same time, that oh man, that that feels like a lot. That that feels yeah, like a lot of things that are happening about that yeah. between
3: the first time I saw it and the second time, and then when he starts like, yeah. when Steve starts coaching him that he wants to like tell a story, tell us about a time you bust a cap in someone's ass or whatever. Yeah, this and is what they want. What they the way, want, yeah. the way he yeah right. he
0: succeeds is the most disturbing part. The way he 100%. finds he yeah yeah. But uh, yeah. there are a few other scenes I want to point out as being favorites of mine. Uh, I think my favorite scene in the entire movie is the moment where uh, Cassius and his friend get into the insult war. That's a compliment war. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I, I, ador- <laughs> I adored that. Yeah. Where they're, like, oh, man. they're clearly having a fight, but just telling each other how great they are. Very funny. Yeah, he's like, you smell amazing.
3: Yeah, just deodorant. We are two good smelling men. Like, yeah, it's very so good. We haven't Uh, talked about the white voice yet, which I feel like it's astounding we haven't just about
0: to bring that up. Yeah, uh, I love that David Cross and Patton Oswalt are the whitest voices they could find, and I particularly, I don't know if this was (laughs) conscious, if this was a uh, a bit of serendipitous casting, but I I don't know if you guys are aware, but uh, David Cross used to be famous uh, in the early nineties for doing a black voice as part of his act. He would like oh, man. hold his throat. Oh. He would like hold his throat and do a, a black voice.
1: Yeah. Um, again, about jokes that do not do not work anymore. Time.
0: Yeah. Time. But uh, I just found it funny that I don't know there's, it, it sort of had a resonance there because of that flipping that on its head too. But I, my favorite thing about that is, is Danny Glover's explanation that the white voice isn't about sounding white. Mm-hmm. It's about, Behaving in a way that is carefree
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and how that is uh, irresistible to people looking to purchase things. And honestly, if you hear you know if you read any books on salesmanship, that that's the truth. That's what <laughs> right. a lot of people you know it, it advise you to do. Uh, I just thought that that whole, like I said, I was so into this movie, and it was making such, I think, uh, razor sharp points all the way through it. And then it just felt like it stopped using a rapier and started using a mallet. And that's, that's <laughs> it, my, it's my only criticism.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I
3: actually yep. didn't realize until looking at the uh, IMDb page now. So whenever Detroit, cause Detroit gets a white voice too, but she doesn't use it at, uh, at telemarketing. She uses it in the gallery mm-hmm. and hers is like, a, it says, it says Detroit's white British voice it was Lily James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, but it's like, yeah, because she's selling to like you know, like basically wealthy white people. so to to like I, I think it's just really interesting the way that the the movie uses the quote unquote white voice to uh, show how in in public spaces uh, and, and in spaces where you were in a predominantly white you know population, how mm-hmm. black people feel potentially the pressure to uh, placate. And well, I thought that the way they did this was a really—it was a way that we like allowed us to laugh mm-hmm. at the execution, but I think it does send you home kind of thinking about that and thinking about like, you know, have you ever been in a situation where you're effectively the Steve Lift?
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, it's a—it's a little too real, and yeah, I think it is the most like pristine and clear, you know, vision of uh, code switching in mm-hmm. a movie today. Like it is. Because it's not just uh, the idea of like carelessness, right? Like it's, it is kind of fascinating. It reminds me too of like uh, that that famous quote that's quoted way too many times from the gate from the Great Gatsby, right? Mm-hmm. Like Daisy Buchanan, they're, they're what careless people, yeah, or something like that. Like yeah, that it is that sort of like wistfulness of being rich and not having a care in the world that uh, to me is just really fascinating too. And I tell you, like, yeah, I, I code switch. Anybody who's not white has to code switch to fit into the society. So it is very like, uh, I don't know, it, it hit a lot of notes for me. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Um, and this movie, too, I have to say, I really love the casting all around. I by the way, love that Steve Yoon gets a, gets a moment with the girl.
3: yeah, doesn't, yeah. doesn't He's really very happen. sexy in this. So it was exciting to like get to see him play that kind of part, like, yeah. I did not know that uh, him swinging around a sign was going to be a thing I'd be into.
1: <laughs> I think like, it was right. maybe
3: not him because you can't really see his face. But it yeah. seems enough <laughs> like him that I will give him credit. It's um, too no.
0: conspicuous, the face hiding, to be yeah. uh, to be him.
3: But, but that's uh, okay. That's a very tough skill to pick up.
0: <laughs> I'm curious what you guys think, particularly you, Christy, uh, what, what your read of uh, Detroit's performance art piece was.
3: I don't know if I understand the question.
0: Oh the uh her... what, what did you make of that scene what what what, what was yeah. she doing in her performance when she had people throw things at her and what like clearly I think Cassius didn't get it and I kind of feel like perhaps the audience didn't mm-hmm. get it uh in in he's um, kind of a surrogate I mean, for the audience know if not if I
3: getting it Got it but I also don't know if the point is to get it um I think that mm-hmm. I think that within the context of the movie, what we're supposed to get from it is that she is literally willing to put herself out there in a way that he is not. And that is why their relationship is falling apart. Because like she said to him, she's like, I can't roll with you on this because you know, he's willing to bow down and sacrifice his principles and his friends and whatever to the dollar, to success, to whatever. And she is literally willing to let people like whip telephones and pigs or uh, sheep's blood and to expose her body and to challenge these things but still within a context where it's, she has some control. She's on mm-hmm. that stage. She gets to choose that she's on that stage. She is using a voice to engage with the audience and she uh, drops it when she talks to Cassius. Um, so I feel like there is something about that, about this, you know, about, I don't know. I, th- I think it's about her, the, dif- the difference in which they interact with these societal pressures. And I do think Mm -hmm. it's interesting when she was talking about what the art exhibit means to him, we don't actually get to hear it because like her voice goes all wonky because he's not really listening. He's just focusing on like the, the pot in her hand and how he just wants to toke up. (laughs) Um, And so like, we don't, you know, she remains a little bit of a mystery, which honestly it's kind of my one criticism of the film is that like, Mm -hmm. she's not exactly a manic pixie dream girl, but she feels a kind of ambiguous political dream girl, like in a way that uh, I would have liked to have understood Detroit more.
0: Um, it seems yeah. to me there's a read of that scene, uh, a legitimate read of that scene, that it, it is showing that her her um, stringent uh, position is just as ridiculous as, as everybody else's. Uh, and I, I don't know if – I mean, I, I don't know if anybody else sees
1: it that way. Well. No, no,
3: no. I, well, I totally what what is her stringent position?
0: Like the
1: idea that um, like like she is more real than what Cassius is doing, right? Because she's not really selling herself out, but at the same time, oh, she's I definitely see. like she is. She is literally inviting people to throw right. shit at her.
3: Well, but it's Even, actually a performance. So I like I think yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. supposed to be the idea of like performative po- yeah. politics or whatever. But there is I like you came
1: up with the the key word there is control, right? Because like she. Right is in control of that situation, although uh, her control is that, you know, it's her exhibit and she can leave if she wants to. But at the same time, like it doesn't stop anybody from throwing something really heavy that could hurt her too. Right. Like it's,
0: there's a lot not of, so there's sure lot that, there. that she yeah. comes out of, uh, out of the film. Mm-hmm. I think everybody is uh, a little bit marred. Uh, all of the, it's, it, it's, I think it undermines everybody's mm-hmm. position. I don't think she is uh completely. Yeah you know, virtuous in on every respect. I think, I, I think, I think it kind of makes fun great. of her a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit. And also, by the way, like let's let's not forget to talk about what she is actually saying. Uh which by the way, I love uh Chef Kiss for for the scene and for Boots Riley because it is a last dragon deep cut uh <laughs> where the villain's girlfriend basically gets fed up with him and says you you know what you you are you know making your career based on me and my looks and everything Mm -hmm. um and she tells him off and she tells him off and she beats down the villain in the way that tells him like he is as you know he treats her like crap and that like she's worthless but she tells him that he's just as you know just like her like just a guy Mm -hmm. from queens um so uh, to me like that whole scene that is a very like i I think notorious like female empowerment scene too so i think that Mm -hmm. there's that There is that. I
3: wasn't. I like. I've not seen that movie. Oh, the
1: Last Dragon is one of my favorites. I talked about it a little a couple months ago, and they showed it here at the Alamo Draft House uh, with Uh the star in attendance. But just saying, like, it is. um, It's a great deep cut. Yeah, it's a great deep cut because nobody thinks of that movie, and certainly that particular scene is just so like it's never. I I don't think it's ever been referenced before. So I kind of love this movie for even doing that. But yeah, what she's saying is a very pro, like you know telling, telling the asshole, telling the guy in charge who controlled her life that, you know, he is just as, you know, low as her basically, Mm -hmm. or as worthless as her. So I think that all kind of ties into it. But I think what you're saying too is right, Jeff, like the movie I think is kind of gray because these are all, you know, these are young people in their 20s and we all like to act that, you know, we figured everything out there. Uh, But that is really, you know, the age where we're really starting to figure out our identity and everything. Mm
0: -hmm dense, a dense movie. And I, I, like I said, I think it's going to continue a conversation throughout the end of the year. And I think a lot of people, the more people that see it, the better. And the more people that see it are, or the more people are going to be talking about it because mm-hmm, it just, mm-hmm. it, it, it demands it. It's uh, it's a piece of art that, that will stick with you. And I am, um, <laughs> that's for sure. You know, it's, it's pretty incredible. And as somebody that, uh, my first job in LA for, for several years was working in a, in a phone room. Oh, man. man, it's mm. it's a little too close to reality as well. Um, <laughs> anything else you guys want to say or should we wrap this up?
3: Um, I just want to say if you go to see this and you start feeling uncomfortable, that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. don't, don't feel like you're watching the movie wrong or that that makes you wrong. I think the movie is trying to challenge a lot of us. And I think it's okay to feel uncomfortable. And, uh, yeah, just roll with it and, you know talk with your friends about it, figure it out. And uh, yeah, I, 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 it's, you know, it's funny because I said this about um, one of the movies I was talking about earlier about, like, I don't necessarily know if you'll like this, but I, I encourage everyone to see it because it is just such a fascinating movie and it has so much to say and whether or not you agree with its points. Um, I think that it's just a very exciting film uh, from a mm-hmm. filmmaker that I hope we'll see a lot more from. Cause I think boots <laughs> Riley uh, just put together something, really distinctive and exciting and fearless
0: yeah it certainly demonstrates the power of cinema to speak to the moment in a way that Mm -hmm. you know that only cinema can so um all right well that's it for this episode of the slash film cast um uh christy why don't you tell people where they can find more of your work this week
3: uh, yeah, I write all over the interweb, but you can find my career highlights at uh And I'm on Twitter at Christy Puchko. That's K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And keep an eye out there because I'll be having uh, I have a thread right now with Fantasia reviews, but there'll be more coming up, including some interviews from some really great filmmakers who took the time to talk with me. And I'm very excited. It was a lot of fun. Nice. Awesome. How about you, Devendra?
1: Oh, I'm on Twitter at, at Davindra, and I write about tech at engadget.com. And uh, keep an eye out there for, I don't know, a bunch of stuff. I'll have something about searching uh, in the next couple of weeks, and I'll, I'll actually be sitting down and chatting with the director and John Cho. So hopefully an interview will come out of that, too.
0: Very cool. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a show about video games called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Uh, Next week, we will be. uh, It will be the triumphant return of David Chen, uh, because I don't think anyone can stop him from talking about the movie we will be discussing, which is Mission Impossible Fallout. See you then. Till then, we're out.